Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Sooners Extra Podcast, powered by the Oklahoman. The Sooners Extra Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. I'm your host, Ryan Aber, as always, here with uh, fellow OU beat writer Joe Masato and Barry Trammell, columnist for the Oklahoman. And, guys, we got to jump right into this. The uh, Trajan Bridges saga on Monday where uh, Bridget, Lincoln Riley says, uh, we haven't done anything with Bridges. Uh, we haven't made any permanent moves, and when you, we make one, we'll announce it. To uh, Alex Grinch saying, oh, yeah, he's working out with us. He's practiced, uh, practiced safety just uh, a few minutes ago after we got off the field, or when we got off the field. So, Barry, what, what do you make about uh, sort of everything that's gone on around uh, Trajan Bridges over the last 24 hours as we speak on Tuesday afternoon? Well, I mean, there's two sides of it. One is the uh, politics of of a uh, player switching positions at this point in the season. The other is just the novelty of of a guy switching positions at this time of the year, when clearly he's he, he's going to he was helping the offense a little, but. Just as clearly, they think he can help the defense if you want to move him now. If you don't think he can help you this season, you don't move him until you know January. No reason to. Yeah. But it sounds like they actually think he can play in the secondary, which is good news and bad news. It's good <laughs> news about Trajan Bridges, his athletic ability, his acumen on the football field. It's bad news about the state of the Sooner safety position. Yeah, Joe, I, I think that this – sort of illuminates this uh, sort of months-long dialogue we've had with Alex Grinch about the state of the safeties. And he's said repeatedly that he didn't like the depth there at all. He keeps reiterating it every time we ask him. Um, he said yesterday on, on Monday when we talked to him that he feels like that Pat Fields and Delarian Turner yelled the two starters there have played good, pretty good I think was the word he used. But he said pretty good isn't good enough here and they've got to continue to develop that depth. So, yeah, it seems like uh, – I'm not going to say it's a move of desperation, but it's uh, not too far from it to, to try to throw out a guy who hasn't played defense to this point of the year and get him ready uh, this quickly. Right. I mean, there were clearly depth concerns at safety before the season started. Um, Alex Grinch was pretty forthcoming in that. But something the, – the timing of this is a little strange to me. It's not strange in that – it was a bye week, and, and they're able to give him some time to, to practice safety before OU and Tech play on Saturday. But I just wonder what happened during those first three games. What I mean, the safety play has been far from stellar, and, and maybe that's just it, that they said, okay, you know, even though Bridges is contributing on offense, we've got to try him on defense. Um, you know, so, so the timing is, is a little bit odd. Um, if you remember during fall camp, Jaqueline Crawford moved to the defensive side of the ball either. This is not like that situation. Jaqueline Crawford probably wouldn't be playing 
on offense even at this point. Trajan Bridges was playing on offense and uh, you know was a top 10 receiver in this class. Yeah, I, I think this is completely different from what we saw with Jaqueline Crawford. Jaqueline Crawford is just trying to find a way onto the field. With Bridges, you know, it sounds like he heard or saw everything that was going on in the secondary and said, hey, maybe I can help over there with that, and maybe that's a, a, an avenue to more playing time. But uh, it's going to be really interesting to see, do we see Trajan Bridges at all offensively from here on out, or is it just uh, safety? Or, you know, how that balance goes. I mean, we've seen players that have done it both ways. Andre Wolfolk uh, is the one that comes to mind, especially uh, for OU. I almost said it in recent years, but we're past recent years with Andre Wolfolk. 18 years ago. <laughs> it's been a long time. Um, uh, yeah, you know, there are guys that can go back and forth that can, uh, you know, Frank Romero was sort of just a middling defensive lineman, not really getting very far, and got moved to offense and became a star. Um, so, you know, George Cumbie's sort of the poster child. He was a Barry Switzer fullback, third team at best. After a couple of years, moved to linebacker and became an instant star. Was a fabulous linebacker. So, you know, the the one thing you don't know, I don't know, maybe the coaches do, probably do, is it takes more than athletic ability to play defense. It takes an attitude don't really need an attitude for offense if you're if you've got a certain size and a certain speed and a certain hands you're going to be fine at wide receiver and depending on how good those three things are you might be a star but on defense you got to have those things and some attitude aggression um determination um you know uh, uh, a willingness or even a desire to hit people so um does Trajan Bridges have that? I assume so, or else they wouldn't have moved him. But to me, that's the key thing. Can he make the adjustment attitude-wise uh, that it takes to go from offense to defense? Yeah, and I think the question is, um, you know, is this a long-term thing? I mean, is Trajan Bridges permanently a safety now? Um, if it's just this year, I think that makes a little more sense. Like, going from offense to defense seems a lot harder than, you know, a guy who's – played receiver a ton and then if they said okay Trajan we want you to go back to the offensive side of the ball I bet he could pick it up fairly quickly the only thing that would be a problem is the playbook so you know it's a thing that he might be able to flip back and forth between yeah I think wide receiver is an easy spot to jump back to it if you feel pretty good about you know where where you are at safety so I don't think there's much concerns there I still think his long-term future is at wide receiver I mean you know, they brought in that class of, of three five-star guys. It's not like he was number three on the list. He's been number two behind Jaden Hazelwood, who's become a regular rotation guy. Trajan Bridges hadn't quite gotten uh, to that point yet, but has still, uh, uh, you know, played some significant minutes. But, uh, you know, I, I don't get the feeling that this is something that they're going to just send him back there and he's going to be a safety for the next four years. But it is something where they feel like maybe for this year – before they get, uh, you know, some of these recruits that have been brought in specifically for Alex Grinch's system, maybe this is the best solution for them to win this year. When do you guys think he makes his debut at safety, if he plays? Oh, I I think that there's a chance we'll see him at some point on Saturday. Now, how much? 
I don't know that we're going to see him. I don't think we're going to see him as, you know, the third series of the game. This isn't going to be like what they rotate at defensive tackle or, or middle linebacker or cornerback. But I think maybe we could see him for, for a limited number of snaps at some point in the game just to try to start getting a sense of, you know, where he's at uh, in that sense. It'd be fun if Trajan Bridges is out there on defense on Saturday. What's, it, what, what's his number? Is he six? Is that Bridges? What's Trajan Bridges' number? He is eight. Eight. All right. Was there an eight on defense? Um, was he the only eight? Let's see here, because I've got the. Uh, I was looking at the roster and was getting. Only the, he is the only eight on the team. So oh well, that's no, that's, that's uh, fortune. No uniform changes or anything like that. I was like going to say that would we've be seen a, that. Would uh, be a situation. <laughs> That'd be a situation. So, um, that that'll be fun to watch on Saturday. Now. Where are they where are they thinking about him at as a safety? Is he more of a yeah, free? That, he strikes me as somebody you'd play deep, you know, a free safety. Yeah, type. I, I would think more of a free safety type. Uh, Grinch, Alex Grinch, didn't really talk about that much uh, yesterday, um, but I, that's where I would anticipate him him playing and probably having the most impact. No, that would be that's something fun, and you know what? It, it probably need a healthy sooner lead. To go out there and play, but maybe they heck, maybe they throw yeah, him but, out there. Um, maybe they throw him out there. I mean, the, yeah. The question is, do you really need a healthy lead? Because remember, you know, like I said, they feel good about Pat Fields and Delaire and Turner Yell, but you know, we haven't seen much of Robert Barnes and Justin Broyles and, and Chance Sylvie. These guys, I think, it speaks to how Alex Grinch and the rest of that staff feel about those guys that we haven't seen them in any kind of uh, significant rotation. How does all this talk affect the nickel position? Because there's talk well, that, that Sylvie's moving to nickel. Is that right? Is that well, the- Yeah, Sylvie worked out at nickel some uh, during, the, during the preseason. So you could see him there because I don't think they feel 100% comfortable about what uh, Brendan Radley-Hiles has done to this point. I think we saw some, you know, against South Dakota had the game of his life, but some regression against UCLA – and that's a spot that really gets magnified once we get into Big 12 play. I just, to me, you know, I, I, I sometimes think nickel gets overlooked because the Grinch in particular, the questioning and Grinch's answers are very specific. He doesn't lump the secondary in together. I mean, he, the Sooners basically are very pleased with corners and, you know, a little worried about the safeties. The starters, not as much, but the depth, very little behind them. I don't know where the nickel falls into that on that divide. I don't know if, if you lump Buki in with the safeties or if, you know, in a lot of ways, the nickel back is, is more of a corner in a lot of ways. So uh, so I'd be interested in knowing how this all affects Brendan Radley-Hiles. Yeah, that that will be certainly something to keep an eye on here moving forward because I think that's another spot where they really haven't had uh, anybody else that they felt really comfortable throwing out there to that point and it sort of magnifies the the preseason injury to Trey Norwood where we thought that that was probably where Norwood was going to play and and Norwood and uh, Bradley Hiles would be that rotation and they haven't found another guy uh, there either. Yeah I mean the guy kind of in this group that we touched on a little bit is Robert Barnes he started the last eight games for OU last year, and he's just he's just been lost in the shuffle. I don't know if that's the the change in defensive staff or or what's happened there, but it's like you know when we talk about the two backup safeties, Justin Broyles and Robert Barnes, 
if you're going to play one against Texas Tech, surely they're in a much better spot than Trajan Bridges is to play safety. But it might just be a point where they want to get Bridges some playing time um, to see how he compares. But um, Barnes is interesting to me just given how much experience he's had and he's played relatively few meaningful minutes so far. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't seem like he's recovered fully from that hit in the Orange Bowl that Josh Jacobs dealt out that that injured him kept him out for most of the spring and um it's just uh tough for him but i think he's another example of you know we've seen a lot of secondary guys we talked about this a a few times on the podcast over the last uh month or two we've seen a lot of secondary guys who've come in played early like uh like robert barnes did now robert barnes has played uh you know like joe said played significantly last year but we haven't seen that kind of uh, growth and development in those guys in the past, and that's something that they've got to turn around. Well, you know, small steps, at least Grinch and no one else talking about the corners, you know, that's generally a harder position to fill than the safeties. Yeah. But it looks like the Sooners are in pretty good shape at corners, so, you know, take sort of at this point in time, you sort of take what you can what you can get. Yeah, it's interesting. Parnell Motley's graded out by the metric Pro Football Focus uses as the best corner in the country so far this year, as far as percentage of passes successfully defended. Um, Trey Brown's played really well, and then we've talked a ton about Jaden Davis, who's the third guy in that cornerback rotation who can play either slot. So, corner is surprisingly one of the biggest strengths of that of that defense. Yeah, it's, which is crazy given you know how much time we spent talking about corners on the negative side over the last couple years. To this point, it's held up. We'll see how it holds up uh, in Big 12 play, especially beginning on Saturday when Oklahoma hosts Texas Tech at 11 a.m. But uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk more OU football. Again, I'm your host, Ryan Aber, alongside Barry Trammell and Joe Masato from the Oklahoman, and this is the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast, presented by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. Uh, we got a chance to talk about Trajan Bridges and Oklahoma's safeties and, and secondary in the first segment. Now we're going to turn the attention over to the offensive side. And uh, Joe, I'm CEO, you didn't play last week, but uh, Jalen Hurts just continues to solidify himself as uh, one of the guys at the top of the Heisman Trophy conversation. Um, it, it seems like we're starting to get a little bit more focus there with uh, Joe Burrow continuing to have success with uh, obviously Tua Tungavailoa uh, continuing to have success and a couple others. But, uh, you know, got a chance to chat with Jalen Hurts a little bit yesterday about 
the way he approaches things, and I know we've talked about this, we've written about it a lot, but uh, yet again we heard the rat poison come out of Jalen Hurts' mouth. Yeah, I haven't gone back to count, but the rat poison counter must be up to, I don't know, four or five at least, I think, to this point. Um, you know, it, he's he's brought Nick Saban, one of Nick Saban's most famous sayings to Norman, and, and hopefully we'll have a story on that later in the week. But it, it's interesting because even when he doesn't play, he still talks about that. And I, I asked him about, you know, his mindset and never never thinking anything is good enough. And it's so just clear that that's the way he sees things and he sees his career. And he said part of that is being a coach's son, um, his dad was his coach at Channel View High School in Houston. Um, it's interesting because Channel View wasn't at all a successful program when Hertz was there. They made the playoffs in his senior year. But now he's had so much success at Bama, at OU, and he still sort of rejects the success that he's had. So just from like a psychological standpoint, I find it fascinating. Yeah, Barry, and I, I wonder about how – especially the offensive players took that because the defensive players I think it's really easy to buy into that mentality when you've struggled as much as you have that you know nothing's ever good enough there's a lot of offensive players on this team guys like Creed Humphrey and and CeeDee Lamb and Grant Calcaterra who've been a part of offenses that are you know among the top ever in college football and then you have a guy come in and say you're not good enough this isn't good enough um, you can see it going one of two ways. It could be a, a really positive thing that focuses people and and allows them to you know really narrow in on small things that are going to be be so big in games like uh, Texas, uh, Bedlam, a potential Big Twelve championship game, you know, college football playoff if they get there. Or you could also see, uh, hey, I don't I don't know what this guy uh, is all about and why he's coming and talking like this. It doesn't seem like it's gone that second way, but. Uh, you know, you just sort of wonder about that. Yeah, you know, the uh, here's what I'd say about the offense. They are getting plenty of positive reinforcement. <laughs> um, that I don't think they mind that they get some negative reinforcement from Hurts or some, not saying it's negative reinforcement, but some saying, hey, <laughs> this is, you know, some tough love. Um, you know, you guys were mentioning earlier that OU's own Twitter accounts <laughs> send out all kinds of great stats and, and salutations about the Oklahoma offense. So it's not like it's the media or the fans that are, you know, walking through the streets, you know, chanting their name. It's their own organization does a lot of that. So um, I, I don't worry too much about that side of it. Um, I also wonder this. I wonder how much of that actually goes on, how much of Hurts telling teammates that kind of stuff. It might. It could. Well, to me, it, it that's one of the things that better go on behind the scenes if he's no. going to do it in public. That's not you know. No, that's the a whole, good point. But uh, my my, my know, point praise, is praise in public, criticize in private thing. How much is how much of all this talk about rat poison and you know twenty or twenty three? Well, not good enough. Um, how much of that is just pon- public pontificating by Hertz? Don't know him well enough to make a guess, but I sometimes wonder about that. Um, and I also wonder if this is any different than any any place else. It's just him saying it a certain way. I mean, Jason White, you know, when he got off to that unbelievable start in 2003, or Sam Bradford in 08 when they were going great guns, or even Baker Mayfield in, in 16. I don't know that any of those guys 
ever got up and said, well, it's pretty good. We just keep doing what we're doing. We'll be fine. <laughs> you know, I, I think they all had the attitude of, hey, we need to get better. Yeah. Hurts, but hurts at least they would stoicism, like. Hurt stoicism sort of exasperates the, the impression that you know, he's not pleased with himself. The truth is, let's be honest, the truth is Jalen Hurts is over the moon with how things are going uh, in his you know, first four games, as, or first three games as a Sooner. There's no, there's, there's no way he couldn't be. I mean, you know, there were people as recently as 11 months ago saying, yeah, this guy, you know, TCU or Kansas State would be a good spot for him. You know, someplace that runs the ball a lot, <laughs> you know. And so for him to go to a, a, a high-tech offense, a high-flying offense like the Sooners, and fit right in with the likes of Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, he's got to be thrilled with the way he's performed and this offense has performed. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think that speaks as much to not only Jalen Hurts and the way things have come together, but also Lincoln Riley. And, you know, we talked about this a lot in the preseason, Joe, that, uh, you know, one of the, the things that defines Lincoln Riley as an offensive coach, as an offensive play caller, is the fact that he can take advantage of, of what the skill sets of his quarterbacks have been. We saw them change the offense, you know, really every year through the three years of, of Baker Mayfield, certainly last year with Kyler Murray, and yet again we've seen that uh, with what he's done with Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of what we expected is him fitting it to Jalen Hurts' style. I think we've seen more quarterback design runs. I've also think we've seen, uh, you know, it's not as fat, flashy as like a Kyler Murray improv play because Kyler was just so much faster and just the smaller guy back there just worrying around. I mean, Jalen Hurts is more of that physical running back type guy, but you are seeing an offense that fits his needs, and I think you're seeing an offense that has only it's, – it's not like it scratched the surface as far as stats because it would be almost impossible to keep up this current pace, but they've all been on almost cruise control. I mean, you've written about the running backs, and, and their reps have hardly been used. Um, they're still able to experiment with certain guys on the offensive line and, you know, sit Creed Humphrey earlier than they might. They, they haven't really tested themselves fully. They haven't really had to yet. Yeah, so that'll be uh, something to follow here as we move forward. Uh, Barry, for you – going forward certainly into Saturday's game but really in the Big 12 as a whole what are you most wanting to see from this offense that maybe we haven't seen to this point uh, of the year hmm well I want to see him against I want to see him when they're pressed I want to see him against a really good defense which we haven't seen I don't know when we'll see it yeah, I was about to say. I mean, uh, no, you know what? I, I, I mean, Texas. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, I mean Texas. Is, the Longhorns have players, so you want to see how they line up and, and handle Texas. Um, the truth of this Oklahoma season is this is a little bit of an odd year. The schedule was um, admirable, but didn't pan out as being all that tough. UCLA is a quirky, poor team. Houston is a quirky, poor team. Both are one and three. So um, I would say just see when when they got to perform. You know, there's not they've not trotted out on the field this year with any kind of pressure. I mean, they've they've performed well early and made runaways, but 
You know, if it, let's get to the third quarter. We saw this in 17. You know, Sooners go up and play great at Ohio State, and they had all kinds of tense pressure there. But two weeks later at, at home against Iowa State, you know, they take the field repeatedly in the second half, needing to get something done and couldn't and failed. So when pressed, how is this offense going to do? That's the one thing we don't know yet, and we may not know for a while. What about you, Joe? Yeah, I, I mean, any sort of pressure situation. And saw so many games last year. I mean, look at the Tech game from a year ago when OU basically would have lost had they not scored on almost every possession. I, now, the defense has improved a little bit. Some of that is by the opponents that they faced. But if they get into one of those shootout games, can this offense keep up that pace when when they've been able to um, – you know, work a little more clock this year and, you know, not have to be explosive on every single play. The other thing, I, I thought this was I, – I just thought it was interesting when C.D. Lamb said this um, last week. He said that for the first time in his career, UCLA permanently played a safety over the top of him. And um, I'll take his word for it. If that's the first time, it, it's interesting to me where they're like, okay, we're going to take away Jalen Hurts' best weapon – and Charleston Rambo has played admirably trying to step up, but basically forcing guys like Rambo, Calcaterra, Lee Morris, Basquin to step up if you take Lamb away. And I'll be interested to see if other teams do that because Lamb's per-catch numbers are off the charts, but he's only had nine receptions through three games. Yeah, that's going to be something to follow here in the next few weeks. And I, I think if Charleston Rambo and, and some of those other guys, but I think especially Charleston Rambo, if he's able to keep up the production that we've seen from him uh, through especially that, that UCLA game, if he's able to keep that up, then it's going to become much more difficult for defenses to take away C.D. Lamb. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes this offense so good is because it puts defenses in such a difficult position because if you take away one thing, you've got to leave something else open. And generally, OU has had the answers to that, whether it's uh, the quarterback run game, whether it's uh, you know the running backs, you know whether it's any of those group of receivers, outside, inside, tight end, things like that. Uh, it, you know, it, it makes it really tough to figure out how to defend them, and it didn't work when UCLA did it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure somebody else is going to try it at some point, but. Um, you know, unless something happens, unless you get in the backfield and, and make Jalen Hurts have to make those decisions really quickly, which ha- we haven't seen that to this point yet either, then uh, I think it's going to continue to be difficult. But that's something to watch is, you know, how defenses attack this this offense and also the tempo that they're able to work with if that needs to change. I think – Barry, you talked to Dana Holgerson a, a few weeks ago after the the opener, and he said he expected this offense to speed up uh, later in the year. Yeah, and, he thought they were playing pretty deliberate against Houston. Yeah, and that's really what we've seen to this point. But you've got to think there's going to become a time where they're going to amp it up, especially as they get to feeling a little bit better about the offensive side of the ball. But um, we're going to take a quick break there, be back on the other side to talk more about Saturday's game against Texas Tech and uh, OU football in general. Uh, please be sure and bookmark RedRiverRivalryRadio.com for Oklahoma Texas Week as we launch a 24-hour, seven-day-long pop-up radio station celebrating the historic rivalry. We look forward as we go live October 5th in preparation for the October 12th showdown. Again, RedRiverRivalryRadio.com. I'm Ryan Aber, and this is the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zach. 
Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. The Sooners uh, open up Big 12 play on Saturday, as we mentioned a couple times, 11 a.m. against Texas Tech. Uh, That game will be broadcast on Fox. Barry, this is a game that a lot of us have circled for a long time as one that's the first real test of Alex Grinch's defense. Hasn't really worked out like that, and and certainly that starts with uh, the Red Raiders situation at quarterback. Yeah, two things. One is uh, Tech goes out to Arizona and does not play well offensively. 14 points against an Arizona defense that's pretty putrid. Second is Alan Bowman, the quarterback who's so good last year as a true freshman, gets injured. He'll be out, shoulder injury, be out several weeks, not going to play Saturday. And so the Red Raiders, uh, you know, have to go into the reserve for a quarterback who, with an offense that wasn't that great to start with by tech standards. So not quite the uh, test we were hoping for for this, this new-look OU defense. The, uh, on the other side, Jet Duffy, I assume, is going to quarterback tech. He was the backup last year. If you remember, he came in against the Sooners. Threw for 139 yards and a couple touchdowns. Two touchdowns in the second half of a game. I think 51-46 was the final, I think. So he kept it going. Yep. Pretty good for Tech. Um, Sooners sort of had trouble adjusting from the from the more traditional drop back Bowman to the, to the run around Duffy. They sort of know it's coming this time. Um, but, you know, it, it's not going to be the test we thought it was. That's clear. And not only just because Bowman is, is out, but because Tech doesn't appear to be quite as good here in the first year of Matt Wells as head coach. But, yeah, Joe, as uh, as Barry mentioned there, we saw some of Duffy last year, and although there's been some consistency issues, I know he's uh, had some issues with uh, turning the ball over. But, uh, hey, by the way, one of his touchdown passes last year came in the first half, came before Bowman uh, left the game. I think he had that uh, that second touchdown pass of the two uh, when when Tech went up fourteen to nothing, but certainly didn't see uh, any evidence of some, some of the problems that we have seen from Jet Duffy since then. Yeah, I mean it'll be interesting new new defense, new defensive scheme against him. Lincoln Riley was asked about you know Jet Duffy yesterday and complimented him and said that he brings a totally different look than Alan Bowman does. Jet Duffy is much more athletic, as Barry mentioned. Jackson Tyner is the other name to know in this. He's a transfer from Rice. Um, I'm with you, Barry. I fully expect Jet Duffy to play most, if not every, snap on Saturday. How much did Rice – how much did Tyner play at Rice? Yeah, came off the bench in four games, so that – 
That's kind of that's kind of what you need to know about Jackson Tyner. Yeah, he he played in that was last year. Fourteen games over over the previous three seasons at Rice, threw for uh, a touch over thousand yards, one thousand forty eight yards, completing uh, what forty seven percent of his passes, right. and he is. Uh, hasn't completed a pass in three attempts this year. Yeah, so I'm, I think it'll be Duffy. <laughs> yeah. I think it'll be Duffy. Um, Tyner's never been the regular starter either. So, And you know right. what? Uh, you know, to me, what what's a better name for a qu- tech quarterback out in West Texas than, than Jet Duffy? Um, you know, straight out of Giant, which – you're too young, St. Joe, to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but the uh, you know the the epic movie from the '50s um, that starred, of course, all the uh, all the uh, big dogs: uh, um, Elizabeth Taylor, Rock Hudson, James Dean. Uh, so, uh, of course, one of the primary characters was uh, was Jet Rink from Giant. So. Jet Duffy seems like a fine name for a tech quarterback. <laughs> it is a heck of a college football name, uh, Jet Duffy, no doubt about it. But, uh, Barry, let's stick with you for a second. There's some uh, familiar faces on this Texas Tech staff. You mentioned Matt Wells, a guy from, from Salisaw. Salisaw, America. Um, there's also uh, Luke Wells is on his staff, tight ends, inside receivers coach, who uh believe uh, – was it walked on at OU? Is that walk on correct? Walk on at OU in ninety seven, ninety eight, and then uh, was invited to uh, retire from football by Mike <laughs> Leach when he was hired. Mike, Mike Leach has a history of doing such but things. Offered him a job as a student assistant, and um, it's the exact Lincoln Riley story. So Luke Wells was the original Lincoln Riley. That's, That's what you're exactly, telling me. Because exactly it would have right. happened uh, a couple a couple years before. Uh, Riley. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because that was spring of '01. Is that right for Riley? Well, uh, uh, when he got, I think that is correct. I think that's right. Second, you know, the second year of of Leach in Lubbock. But anyway, that's what he did, and uh, he became a three year student assistant, and was the glory years 2000, 2001, 2002, and uh, 03, I think, is when the Lincoln Riley. Okay, uh, but then, uh, but now he's been you know a long time coach, not just with his brother. He was at Iowa State for several years. But it's been with his brother at Utah State and now Tech, so pretty, uh, you know, pretty familiar face. Guy coming back to Norman. But Joe, he's not the only one. As Kerry uh, Cooks also returns, we've talked about Kerry Cooks uh, a fair amount on this podcast. Sort of referenced him earlier about uh, developing uh, uh, defensive backs that that we never really saw that development really continue in a big time arc, but. There's no doubt that this guy can recruit, and he's responsible for a lot of these guys, well, pretty much all of them in the secondary being uh, in Norman. Yeah, and just talking to you know Parnell Motley, Trey Brown, and a couple of those guys yesterday, there's still very much a, you know, they speak so highly of Kerry Cooks, and um, just like you said, he, they, he recruited them, um, he was their mentor, he coached them. Um, still have a very close relationship. It just didn't work on the field for Kerry Cooks. I mean, OU was really, really, really bad pass defense wise in the in the last three years. Um, I had it somewhere, but I think it was eighty seventh, hundred eleventh, and last year they were dead last, one hundred thirtieth in pass defense. The team ranked one hundred twenty ninth was Texas Tech, so he goes to an, <laughs> an equally tough uh, position there. They're in Texas Tech, although I will say in Texas Tech's defense. 
They had to face OU. Yeah, they, yeah. OU's uh, defense did not have to face OU's offense. Kerry Crooks has never had to coach. Uh, maybe he was at Notre Dame back in 12 and 13. I can't remember. But anyway, yeah, if he thinks his stats were bad <laughs> before, wait till you, you got to have by one twelfth of the season includes a game against Lincoln Riley. By the way, uh, Kerry Cooks was at Notre Dame in 12 and 13, was their co-defensive coordinator slash DB coach. There you go. So And did fairly well. We yeah. Yeah. 48 total points, I think. Sooners won 35, maybe something in in 13, but lost 30 to 13 in 12. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a tiny, tiny sample size, and it's against teams like Montana State, UTEP, and Arizona. But the Red Raiders are third nationally in pass defense. Uh, that's surely going to change after Saturday. But so far, so good for Kerry Cooks in his new role at Tech. Yeah, but uh – Barry, those aren't the only uh, only guys that are uh, somewhat familiar. I thought it was interesting yesterday listening to Alex Grinch. He talked about uh, David Yost, and and Yost was, uh, I think, with with Alex Grinch some at uh, Washington State uh, there, and and at Missouri uh, before that. Um, he's been sort of a guy that came up with Gary Pinkle, um, but certainly Grinch is is very familiar with him, both being Ohio natives. And then Keith Patterson, an Oklahoma guy, also on Matt Wells' staff uh, there in Lubbock. Of course, Matt Wells is a guy I've had my eye on a long time, being from Salisaw and um, ended up offensive coordinator at Utah State when the, when those Aggies were having some good years. He gets Yeah, the, he used to come, come into Oklahoma and regularly right. get a couple guys. Yeah. Uh, what, Brandon Swindoll, I think, went there uh, from, yeah. from Millwood. And that that was actually his brother, Luke, that did a lot of that recruiting. Um, but – uh, anyway, he's done a nice. He did a nice job at Utah State. They were winning, and uh, have kept it up here in recent years. And you know, he was high on a lot of people's list, and it seemed sort of a natural when when Tech came calling. So, you know, the Tech program has remained high profile because of that offense. Patrick Mahomes, Cliff Kingsbury, you know, the whole that whole uh, offensive identity has not really fallen since the Mike Leach days. But the success has. Um, Tech under Mike Leach was routinely eight wins, nine wins, bowl game, bowl game. In fact, uh, the Big 12 formed in 1996, and Tech was the last team standing in terms of uh, years in a row that they'd made a bowl game. Um, So uh, that's ended in the last six, seven years. Tech has just gone into mediocre status. Still can stand up and bite you, you know, um, but play great games, entertaining games. We'll never forget some of these shootouts, but Tech just has not won with the consistency of the previous decade. And I think that's what, that's what Matt Wells was hired to do is change that, get Tech back into winning football. Yeah, but uh, unlikely to be this year that they really uh, start turning it around as a uh, – Joe mentioned two and one, uh, not like the teams that they've beaten so far have been just uh, powerhouses. Beat uh, Montana State 45 to 10. UTEP, uh, a team that has been probably as bad as any uh, in, in FBS uh, in recent years, 38 to 3, and then only scored 14 points uh, a couple weeks ago against Arizona. But uh, I would imagine that nobody at this table thinks OU is going to have you know just a, a ton of problems. Uh, on Saturday against the Red Raiders. 
Uh, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, we just had to uh, – Ryan, I don't I don't know if you've picked the game yet, but, uh, I mean, I'll throw mine out there. I said 49-21 OU. Sooners are favored by 24-and-a-half, at least by the line we went by. Barry, you said 58-28, so I think we both see it in the same direction. Yeah, I actually am I'm going to type it as we sit here uh, as I'm the only one of the three who hasn't picked uh, this game. But uh, I'm going to say 52-21. Uh, I think uh, you know. I think Jet Duffy does have a little bit of success against OU's defense, but I think also that uh, OU's defense is still able to keep it together. It doesn't snowball on them like we've seen in the past. You know, this doesn't turn into the big time shootout that we've seen the last few times that OU and, and Texas Tech face off. I think OU wins this game. Uh, you know, relatively handily. Yeah, I don't. I don't see any way – with Bowman it would have been interesting because he can get hot. He's shown that. But I just don't see any way that Tech can keep up with Sooners. So, I mean, I expect a blowout. But, you know, it's, it is Tech. It is Oklahoma. We've seen crazy things. Yeah, crazier things have happened. But we'll be back a, a little bit later in the week to talk a little bit more about this game. Take your mailbag questions if you have a mailbag questions. Uh, once again, you can always reach out to me. Email R-A-B-E-R-R-A-B-E-R at Oklahoman.com. On Twitter, at R-Y-A-B-E-R. Joe? Uh, it's at Joe underscore Masato on Twitter, and that's J-M-U-S-S-A-T-T-O at Oklahoman.com is my email. And Barry? Well, my Twitter <laughs> is at Barry Trammell, B-E-R-R-Y-T-R-A-M-E-L. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't recommend did I, that. Did I screw anything up? Uh, no, I, you're, okay. you're correct there. Email me, email but, me at btrammell at oklahoman.com. You're not just going to throw out your phone number this on the 405-760-8080. Yeah. But I'm not, if you call and ask me a question, I'll answer it right then. I'm not going to remember <laughs> to put it on the podcast. Yeah, so uh, reach out to us. Ask us your questions, whether it's uh, you know for the podcast or not. We always uh, like to do that for our readers. Thank you for listening to the Sooners Extra Podcast from the Oklahoman. The Sooners Extra Podcast is presented each week by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. You can check out our work every day at oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best OU coverage. Of the game.